You're listening to Breaking the Silence, a podcast by Reach 10, where we're creating a culture of courage, compassion, and connection to overcome the shame, silence, and fear that often surrounds topics such as sexuality and pornography. We're your hosts, Chriselle Simons and Creed Orm. Welcome back, listeners, to Breaking the Silence. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for listening. And we're excited today to talk with Rachel Denton. She has been a friend of Reach 10's since the beginning. I think she was in that initial conversation when talking about how to bring Reach 10 together, even the name, what it would mean. And she was in our second episode that we had on this podcast, and we love her so much we wanted her back. So she's back again. And Rachel, please tell our listeners again about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Rachel. I grew up in Portland, came up to school at BYU and got my bachelor's degree in education. And then about a year later, went to the University of Utah to get my master's degree in social work and graduated from that in, oh man, I think May 2019. So I'm coming up on on two years of being out of school. So yeah, so currently what I do is I work as a as a therapist. I work primarily with individuals that are struggling with pornography, as well as individuals who have experienced betrayal trauma or have found out that, or I guess just looking for extra support because their partner is struggling with pornography or really any sort of sexual addiction. So that's what I've been doing for the past two years and just very, very excited to be here. Rachel, it is so wonderful to have you back with us on this podcast. We're so stoked to be breaking the silence and answering the question, how can a therapist help you make progress in your journey? And I'm stoked about this because therapy is so helpful. I mean, if you have a pulse, it's helpful. So it's helpful for everyone, but it's especially helpful in this journey. But when do you think is the most important time to reach out to a therapist? Let's just start with like the timing of reaching out to a therapist. Yeah, that's a great question. I recognize that my answer is going to be biased because I feel that everyone should be in therapy or should think about going to a therapist at at least some at least at some point. But as far as when it comes to this particular issue, I think what I find often is that people seem to wait until either they're about to lose something important to them, whether that's a friendship or a romantic relationship, maybe a job, or they wait until they are really pretty deep into the struggle. And I think at that point is when people typically think like, wow, I I think I might be needing some help. And by that point, of course, it's never too late for anyone. But I've often wondered what happened if someone came in and said, "Um, hey, this is something that's part of my life I don't particularly like, and I would like to address it. But I can say that's never happened (laughs) to me, at least, you know, usually when people are coming in, it's either one of those two things that they're about to lose something important to them, or they're they're starting to really realize what an impact pornography is having on them. So as far as when is a good time to come into a therapist, I think it's when you're wondering that, then it's, that's when it's, <laughs> you know, or wondering, should I be going into a therapist? The answer is yes. And, and I think that a therapist can be pretty helpful at that point. Yeah. I wanted to address some questions that I thought of while you were speaking and those are kind of the, the barriers of what impede people to go to therapy when their problems are not so extreme. 
And I feel like some of those barriers could be, maybe they feel like therapy is expensive Mm -hmm. and also it takes work to find a good therapist. Of course, not all therapists are created equal and you need to find the right fit too. Even though there's a great, awesome therapist, maybe it's just not the right fit for you because that therapeutic alliance is so important. What are some suggestions or resources that you feel like could help people to work through those barriers of finances and doing the work to find a a therapist in order to actually get the help? Any thoughts on that? Mm. You know, that's a really excellent question. And I think is a barrier for a lot of people, especially people our age, because it feels really overwhelming, like you said, to find a therapist. And then looking at the financial piece of that, it, it definitely can get expensive. Yeah, therapy can definitely get expensive, especially if you're seeing your therapist every week, or if you have decided to join groups, or yeah, it, it, it definitely can add up. And so There are definitely a lot of options out there. One of them, whenever I have a client that is saying, I don't know if I can afford this, or I'm not sure if I can continue, you know, paying this much. There are a lot of therapists out there that have sliding scales. And so that would be a question that I'd have in a therapist search is asking if they have a sliding scale. Oftentimes the therapist will say, this is my hourly rate. But oftentimes if if someone says like, I understand that, but I can pay X amount, that some therapists are willing to do that under certain circumstances. So that would be a question I would ask is if they have a sliding scale and what that scale looks like. Another thing to think about is bishops pay. I know bishops are very often very eager to pay for therapy for individuals. I've worked with some bishops where the bishops will pay for the full amount. I've worked with some bishops where they'll say, okay, I'm asking you to pay $20 each time you go, but no, we'll cover the rest. So bishops pay is definitely something to look into. A lot of therapists do take insurance. And so I I would say as far as payment goes and the financial side, those are some avenues I would look at. And there are some groups that are free, but as far as individual therapy, those are the routes I would go with. And then for the second question of looking for a therapist, unfortunately, I don't really know if there's a way around that because I think you're absolutely right. Finding a therapist is kind of a unique thing. It's not like you're looking for a plumber, you know, where you read good reviews and you're like, great, this plumber has great reviews and they can come and fix my toilet. And there we go. Finding a therapist, even if someone else really likes a therapist, doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be a good therapeutic fit for you. But in a way, for me personally, in my own journey of finding my own therapist, I found it to be an interesting self-exploration journey for my own, you know, and and really asking myself, did I resonate with this person? Do I feel like they can provide the resources and skills that I need? Do they have the skills I'm needing and looking for? And what stood out to me about them? What didn't? And I think something else that's important to realize is whoever your first therapist is, like, let's say that you go to a couple sessions, that doesn't mean that that has to be your ongoing therapist. If it's not feeling like a good fit, therapists have are let go all the time. It happens to me, you know, or sometimes I'll say like, I'm not actually quite sure if I'm the fit you're looking for here and help them find a therapist that might be a bit of a better fit. So when it comes to a therapeutic relationship, that is something that I think needs to be taken very seriously as far as what feels like a good fit here. And, and is someone that I feel like I can trust to help me with what I'm here for. Awesome. Thank you for going down that avenue with answering those questions there. 
I also really love this because I wish that someone had told me these things when I was first looking for a therapist. For me, I went to a couple different therapists at BYU while I was there. And unfortunately, we were not a good fit for each other. And looking back, I now realize that it was because they really specialize in like helping students who are struggling with adjusting to student life and depression, anxiety regarding those things. And I was looking for a therapist who could help me sort through a ton of betrayal trauma and some different specialties that these therapists maybe didn't have the like background and experience as much in. And it took me another like year and a half before I was even willing to go to a therapist. And that was a lot of time where I was still in a lot of pain and I like needed help that I just wasn't getting. And I'm so grateful that I was open to it (laughs) when I finally found a therapist who could help me. So I just wanted to throw in my own experience there because it's super real. And and I think one thing that can be helpful too, like you mentioned, Chriselle, of finding someone who matches the expertise of what you're looking for. You know, like, let's say that you, someone's wanting to process a lot of trauma, but the person you're seeing isn't trained in that, they're probably not going to be the best fit. And so it's perfectly okay to ask the therapist what their qualifications are, asking how they handle clients who've come with presenting problems like yours in the past. Because, you know, in a sense, this is sort of like a a bit of a job interview. Like, okay, is this a good match for the both of us? And really your therapist will be okay if it's not a good therapeutic fit. I think sometimes people stick around because they feel bad (laughs) about telling their therapist that. But I think in the end, it's, it's always better to be honest with yourself and with your therapist. Totally. What I found and what I really believe therapeutically is that the therapeutic relationship is always going to be the most important part of therapy by far and away. And so I think qualifications are really, really important, but essentially what the question comes down to is, do I and do all the parts of me trust this person and trust this space? And if the answer to that is no, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad fit. It might mean okay, this may cause a little bit of reflection here. So what about the space do I not quite trust here? Is it something I can bring up with my therapist and say like, hey, last week you said something that really brought up a little bit of distrust in me towards you. Can we talk about that and see how your therapist responds to that? Because essentially what you want is you want to be able to create a space of trust and that you trust that therapist to hold that and to witness these parts of you. And if that trust isn't there, then typically the therapy then becomes very slow work. But if that therapeutic trust is there, that will be something that I would want to hang on to because that does take time to build. Once someone has seen the worst parts of you, that's a relationship that's hard to go and find another one like that, if that makes sense. That's really beautiful. And I love that perspective. Thank you. And speaking of talking about, it might seem like an Easy question to answer, obvious, but what can we talk about with our therapist? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it everything? Is it only a few things? Well, that's actually a really interesting question. I I think the answer I would give to that is, is whatever you feel comfortable sharing at that time. I think a lot of times people come to therapy for the first time. They're like, well, what I do here is I just spill everything and I tell you everything I've ever done and everything I'm ashamed of. If the shameful parts of us are not ready for that yet, then that can often lead to like, I don't know if I want to go back to therapy because I've told this person all of these things. And so 
for me as a therapist, I, I won't ask people to share things they're not ready to share. But there are also some things that if that person doesn't share, then again, the therapeutic work will be very slow. If I can sense that there are things they're not willing or wanting to share quite yet, then in some ways it's like, well, if you can't, if you can't say it, then we can't look at it. You know, if you can't bring it out to the light, then you can't look at it and I can't look at it with you. So I would say, hopefully you feel like you can share almost anything with your therapist. And if you feel like you can't, then that's maybe a time to reflect on why do I feel like I can't share this with my therapist? Is it because I don't trust them? Is it because I'm feeling a lot of shame? And then maybe that can help navigate how you move forward. I like that approach because I feel like it gives space to people to progress and become comfortable with sharing all parts of themselves. Because if they have a traumatic experience with their first therapy experience, they wouldn't want to go back. So developing that trust and moving bit by bit forward to open up to people to share everything. I like that. Rachel, what is the therapist's job? Like, is it to fix me? Is it to fix my problems? Is it just to listen? Like, what's your role, actually? You know, that's the great debate among all therapists of of what a therapist's role is. And I think that is often left up to the interpretation of each individual therapist. So I'll give you my perspective of what my role is, but you may find another therapist who says something different. But for me personally, what I really believe my role as a therapist is It's to teach people how to be in a real and vulnerable relationship. The reason I say that is because typically when someone comes in, especially for pornography, there's likely going to be a tremendous amount of shame that that person's carrying with them in their struggle. I obviously can give a lot of tips and tricks and things to try to avoid using pornography. There's a lot of things I can say, you know, like, well, let's, let's look in deeper and figure out where this came from and and definitely we'll do that. But I think one of the most important pieces is that this person's arriving to this experience and someone else is witnessing these parts of them and still loving and validating and is empathetic too. And I genuinely believe that is one of the most powerful things. I think that in itself is one of the most healing things that can happen. And so when someone feels that these parts of them that they loathe have been seen and have been loved by someone else, then that really opens the gates for some pretty deep therapeutic work. So I genuinely believe that my job as a therapist isn't to heal someone, but it's to witness and it's to provide space and love and then, you know, sprinkling in, well, a lot of trauma work, (laughs) but I, I really believe that my job as a therapist is to witness and to hold and to see and to love. And when that happens, that just really opens the doors for a lot of pretty amazing work. It's really beautiful. And what a sacred and beautiful experience that can be. What does change look like in this process? And how do you facilitate change and not like get frustrated with that process as a therapist? Change is really interesting because I think all of us would say like, yes, ideally I would have these things or these areas of my life change. But when we're talking about the actual process of things changing, I think the reality for most people is that we actually don't want to change. There may be a part of us that does, but then I think that there's a large part of us that is afraid of changing, that is afraid of 
what life will be like if I didn't struggle with pornography? Like, then what? Then how am I going to cope? <laughs> like, how am I going to work through or ignore these other issues that I have if I don't have pornography? So yes, ideally, I want pornography to not be there. But the reality is, I don't know if I'm willing to give it up. So I, I really believe that for most people, change happens when the pain is great enough. And sometimes people will come in and they're not ready to change yet. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that therapy is not going to be beneficial. It just means that there may need to be more time and more experiences before we're willing to actually change. And one of the things I really like about being proactive in our therapy is because then there can be really this groundwork that's laid down for healing, even if we're not quite ready to heal yet. But what was really important was that that groundwork that was laid. And so even though we may not be quite ready to change or we're not quite ready for things to be different yet, that there's still exposure to and planting seeds for change. Beautiful. From everything that I've understood about therapy is that it takes work for the, the client to progress and move forward. But in this kind of uh, realm of change, who do you see in your experience actually does make that progress of changing and and what skills or what practices do they have in that progress as opposed to those who aren't progressing? Great, great, great question. My job as a therapist exists because we don't do that for each other. Like we don't provide warm, open, accepting spaces for each other. And by we, I mean like we as just creatures on this earth. Typically when we have interactions with someone and something difficult is shared, then it may be a closed off conversation or very reactive. And so my job exists because we struggle to do that with each other. And so the people that I see who are able to change the most are the ones that are willing to share their story. I think what's interesting is that there, there are a lot of clinicians you can see and a lot of different avenues to go of like, try these things, try to count to 10 before you look at porn or try to go for a walk first or like check in with yourself. Am I hungry? Am I bored? And yes, those are very helpful, but those are kind of like managing rather than changing. And so I think that what really transforms is when people can take a good look at the shame that they're experiencing and bring it out into the light, whether it's to their therapist, if it's to family members. But if someone's trying to do all the things that we're talking about in therapy, but they still are feeling a lot of shame in the way that they haven't shared it with anyone, they would die if anyone found out, then it's probably likely that person's not really going to be able to change the way that they're hoping to. What you're saying here really speaks true to my experience because, well, when I found Reach 10, I wasn't very open with people. I just knew that I wanted to be in this fight against pornography. And it wasn't until I started sharing with people that I felt like I could trust at first. And then I was very comfortable to share super openly in, in, you know, in public spaces like this podcast, my story around pornography and sexuality. And I think that's so true that it helps me to really change and progress and kind of fill up that shame void that I have with either self-love or just love in general, because I don't know, there's just this healing process that happened with sharing your story. So boy, I believe in that. And I think that's amazing that that's what you find in your actual work is when people are open, can share that with 
the people that's important with their lives, that's when they find some, some healing progress. And I think one important skill that people can learn is to identify when they're feeling shame. And, and I don't even mean just with pornography. I mean, with anything for me personally, I know when I'm experiencing shame is when I feel the need to hide or I feel myself shut down. So when I feel like I want to hide and by hide, I mean, I don't want anyone to know what just happened. Or if I feel myself shut down in a conversation, I know immediately right there, it's shame because shame in itself is just darkness. It's hide. It's don't let anyone see. And so when we can be aware of, I think I might be experiencing shame, even around something where it's like, I'm surprised I feel shame about that, but I do. Then when we can find ways to bring it out into the light, and that can absolutely be sharing it with someone of just saying like, Hey, I got to be honest with you. I'm feeling a lot of shame. I'm feeling like I want to hide. And I would like to bring that out into the light for us to look at together. Or maybe if there's no one to share that with, maybe it's just admitting it to yourself and doing that work with yourself of being like, I'm going to admit to myself, I'm feeling a lot of shame here and bringing in that piece of self-compassion. But I think the tricky part is identifying how do you know when you're experiencing shame, but it's learning from your own cues. How does shame feel in my body? What does my behavior look like when I'm experiencing shame? And then where do I go from there once I identify the shame? That's so beautiful. I think that self-awareness is sometimes difficult to be open to. Yeah, I actually have a reminder on my phone. It reminds me three times a day. I call it conscious check-in. And so what I do is anytime it goes off, no matter when, where, what I'm doing, even if I'm chatting with someone, I have to pause and check in with myself. So I'll say like, what does my body feel like right now? What's first the sensations and things happening in my body? How do I feel emotionally? How do I feel spiritually? I mean, you can have it be whatever you want for your check-in, but I would say the two biggest ones are what, what do I feel in my body right now? You know, are my shoulders tight? How am I holding myself? And what emotions can I identify that I feel right now? And sometimes I'll be like, whoa, I'm, I'm pretty anxious. <laughs> I'm feeling that anxious sensation in my gut. And I didn't realize it was until just right now. And so when we can have actual reminders to remind us, hey, pause and, and check in. I really love that. What an incredible reminder to just pause three times a day. I'm totally going to do that. So thank you for sharing that awesome tip. So Rachel, we love what you've shared so far with us today. Is there anything else that you would like to mention? Maybe even a call to action for our listeners before we head out? You know, I would just say that for a long time, therapy's had a stigma. And I think that that's changing, which I'm really grateful for. I think the dialogue around therapy is changing. But the reality is, is that a therapeutic relationship is unlike any other relationship you're going to have anywhere else. Yeah, this is a third party that has the skills to help you navigate through what you're experiencing. But also this is a person that can theoretically hold the space for you, but also doesn't have an agenda for you. I think a lot of times when we seek the counsel from 
friends or family, there's this feeling of like, this is what they're wanting from me, or this is what they're expecting from me. But therapy can really be a place where you experience just a a space of healing. And so I would really say that if the question's gone through your mind of, should I see a therapist? The answer to that is yes. And welcome to the club. I have been in therapy, have a continuously a therapist, and it's really helped make my life a lot more peaceful and helped me see the areas where I need to heal. So I would encourage, go, go take that leap, go find a therapist. And I think both of us, Chriselle and I can say the same to that. We both have seen therapists. They've been very helpful for us and it's taken work. It's taken maybe finding the right therapist, but it's very, very helpful. So thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us and sharing all of this wonderful wisdom with us. This has been awesome. Of course. Happy to, happy to be here. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence by Reach 10. Help us create a new culture of connection by sharing what you heard today with at least 10 people. Please help us reach more young adults by going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reach 10 is a nonprofit. You can help support this podcast by donating on our website and following us on social media. We share these views to open the dialogue on these tough issues. We are not professionals, and the ideas shared on this podcast should not be taken as professional advice. The opinions and views that our hosts and guests share do not necessarily reflect the views of Reach 10, and we don't guarantee the accuracy of any statements you hear. Reach 10 is not responsible for your use of information heard on this podcast. We keep learning and invite you to join us as we build a more open, compassionate, and courageous culture.